0: section 28 flowers of free thought first series this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by noel vox flowers of free thought by george william foot section 28 christmas in holloway jail note i was imprisoned there for blasphemy from february 1883 to 1884 by sentence of a roman catholic judge mr justice north The dullest Christmas I ever spent was in Her Majesty's Hotel in North London. The place was spacious, but not commodious. It was magnificent in the mass, but very petty in detail. It was designed with extreme care for the safety of its many guests, but with a complete disregard of their comfort, and it soon palled upon the taste, despite the unremitting attentions of a host of liveried servants. How I longed for a change of scene, if what I constantly gazed upon may be so described but I was like a knight in some enchanted castle, surrounded with attendants, yet not at liberty to walk out. The hospitality of my residence, however, was by no means sumptuous. The table did not groan beneath a weight of viands, or gleam with glowing wines. Its poverty was such that a red herring would have been a glorious treat, and a dose of physic an agreeable variety. Why then, you may ask, did I not quit this inhospitable hotel, and put up at another establishment? because I was invited by Her Majesty, and Her Majesty's invitations are commands. Speaking by the card, Christmas Day in Holloway was treated as a Sunday. There was no work and no play then, the dinner was the poorest and worst cooked in the whole week, and the only diversion was a morning or afternoon visit to chapel, where we had the satisfaction of learning that heaven was an eternal Sunday. The fiber put into my cell to be picked by my industrious fingers had all been removed the previous evening lest i should desecrate the sacred day by pursuing my ordinary avocation my apartment was therefore clean and tidy and by the aid of a bit of dubbin i managed to give an air of newness to my well-worn shoes the attendants had however omitted to provide me with a sunday suit so i was obliged to don my working clothes in which graceless costume i had to perform my religious devotions in the house of god where an ill-dressed person is always regarded as an exceptionally bad sinner and expected to show an extraordinary amount of humility and contrition linen was never a burning question in holloway hotel and cuffs and collars were unknown except when a short guest wore a long shirt my toilet was therefore easily completed and with a good wash and the energetic use of a three-inch comb i was soon ready for the festivities of the season At eight o'clock I received the first installment of my Christmas fare, in the shape of three-quarters of a pint of tea and eight ounces of dry bread. Whether the price of groceries was affected by the Christmas demand, or whether the kitchen was demoralized by the holiday, I am unable to decide. But I noticed that the decoction was more innocuous than usual, although I had thought its customary strength could not be weakened without a miracle. My breakfast being devised on the plainest vegetarian principles, there was no occasion for grace before meat, so I sipped the tea and munched the bread. Eight ounces straight off requires a great deal of mastication, without breathing a word of thanks to the giver of all good things. After a remarkably short hour's tramp around the exercise ring in a thieves procession, doing the rogues' march without the music, I returned to my cell, and sitting down on my little three-legged stool, I was soon lost in thought. I wondered what my wife was doing how she was spending the auspicious day. What a Merry Christmas for a woman with her husband eating his heart out in jail. But that way madness lies, and I had fought down the demon too long to give away then. Springing to my feet, I sped up and down my cell like a caged animal, and after many maledictions on the accursed creed, I succeeded in stilling the tumult of my emotions. A great calm followed this storm, and resuming my seat and leaning back against the plank bed, I took a scornful retrospect of my prosecution and trial. How insignificant looked the Tylers, Giffords, Norths, and Harcourts! How noble the fiends and the party who had stood by me in the dark hour of defeat! A few short weeks and I should be free again to join their ranks and strike hard in the thickest of the battle, under the grand old flag of freethought. The chapel bell roused me from fantasy. The other half of the prison disgorged its inmates, and I could hear the sound of their tramping to the sanctuary while they were engaged there i read a chapter of gibbon after which i heard the miserable sinners return from the chapel to their cells at 12 o'clock came my second installment of christmas fare 6 ounces of potatoes 8 ounces of bread and a mutton chop based on hospital diet i had this trinity for my dinner every day for nine months and words cannot describe the nauseous monotony of the menu the other prisoners had the regular sunday's diet bread potatoes and suet pudding after dinner i went for another short hours tramp in the yard the officers seemed to relax their usual rigour and many of the prisoners exchanged greetings how did yer like the figgy duff? did the beef stick in your stomach such were the flowers of conversation that afternoon from the talk around me i gathered that under the old management before the government took over the prison all the inmates had a blowout on christmas day Consisting of beef, vegetables, plum pudding, and a pint of beer. Some of the old hands bitterly bewailed the decadence in prison hospitality. Their lamentations were worthy of a conservative order at a rural meeting. The present was a poor thing compared with the past, and they sighed for the tender grace of a day that is dead. After exercise, I went to chapel. The schoolmaster, who was a very pleasant gentleman, had drilled the singing class into a fair state of efficiency, and they sang one or two Christmas hymns in pretty good style but the effect of their efforts was considerably marred by the rest of the congregation, whose unmusical voices, bad sense of time, and ignorance of the tune more than once nearly brought the performance to an untimely end. Parson Playford followed with a seasonable sermon, which would have been more heartily relished on a fuller stomach. He told us what a blessed time Christmas was, and how people did well to be joyous on the anniversary of their Savior's birth. After which, I presume, he returned to the bosom of his family, and celebrated the birth of Christ with liberal doses of turkey, goose, beef pudding, and communion wine. Before dismissing us with his blessing to our little rooms, which was his habitual euphemism for our cells, he said he could not wish us a happy Christmas in our unhappy condition, but would wish us a peaceful Christmas. And he ventured to promise us that boon if, after leaving chapel, we fell on our knees and besought pardon for our sins. Most of the prisoners received this advice with a grin, for their cell floors were black-leaded and practicing genuflections in their little rooms gave too much kneecap to their trousers. At six o'clock I had my third installment of Christmas Fair, consisting of another eight ounces of bread and three-quarters of a pint of tea. The last mouthfuls were consumed to the accompaniment of church bells. The neighboring gospel shops were announcing their evening performance, and the sound penetrated into my cell through the open ventilator. The true believers were wending their way to God's house, and the heretic, who had dared to deride their creed and denounce their hypocrisy, was regaling himself on dry bread and warm water in one of their prison cells. And the bells rang out against each other from the many steeples with a wild glee as I paced up and down my narrow dungeon. They seemed mad with the intoxication of victory. They mocked me with their bacchanalian frenzy of triumph. But I smiled grimly, for their clamor was no more than the ancient fool's shout great is diana of the ephesians great christ has had his day since but he in turn is dead dead in man's intellect dead in man's heart dead in man's life a mere phantom flitting about the aisles of churches where priestly mummers go through the rites of a phantom creed. i took my bible and read the story of christ's birth in matthew and luke what an incongruous jumble of absurdities a poor fairy tale of the world's childhood utterly insignificant beside the stupendous wonders which science has revealed to its manhood. From the fancy of a little story of the Magi following a star, to Shelley's worlds on worlds are rolling ever. What an advance! As I retired to sleep upon my plank bed, my mind was full of these reflections, and when the gas was turned out, and I was left alone in darkness and silence, I felt serene and almost happy. End of Section 28 Recording by Noel Vox